Welcome to the Success IQ podcast, the show for entrepreneurs wanting to create and live an exceptional life. I'm your host, Jeff Nicholson. For those of you who are new to the show, welcome. I'm an expert in performance and mindset, supporting business owners to create exceptional results in life and business. And I achieve this through coaching, training, speaking, and my online programs. I started this podcast to discover how other thought business leaders create and enjoy success, and to identify the common strategies and techniques, as well as the mindset they have adopted to live their version of exceptional. My aim is simple. It's for you to learn and implement the valuable lessons shared in these episodes. You deserve to live and enjoy an exceptional life, but in order to achieve this, you will need to adopt new strategies and ways of thinking to accomplish your goals. Now, don't forget to hit that subscribe button to make sure you don't miss any of these brilliant episodes. Head over to jeffnicholson.co.uk to register for my Kick Mediocrity in the Nuts newsletter, as well as all you need to know on how to connect with me on social media or join the Facebook group. Now, on with the show. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, wherever you are in the world. I truly hope you are having an amazing week. So we are at the end of season six. It's been a great set of guests. It's been really interesting having people from all over the world, a lot more people from Australia with some amazingly interesting conversations. And, you know, although this is the end of season six, don't worry, season seven is already getting recorded and shall be released in the next couple of weeks. So make sure you keep your um, ear to the um, to the interweb, as they say, to find out more about what's coming up then. But our guest this week is Steve Chaparro. Now, Steve is an organizational culture expert and self-described frustrated visionary who speaks worldwide about how companies can transform their workplace culture through intentional co-creation and communication. He is the founder and principal of Culture Design Studio, an organizational design agency, and he has traveled the world as an international keynote speaker, facilitator, and is the host of his own podcast show, Culture Design Show. So welcome to the show, Steve. Hello, Jeff. Thank you so much. It's been an, it's been an honor so far, so thank you so much. <laughs> yeah. So, Steve, before we dive into our conversation, can you give a little bit of a backstory of what's brought you to this point today? Yeah, so I started my career off in architecture. Uh, I was inspired by Winston Churchill, who said, uh, we shape our buildings, thereafter they shape us. And that has really taken me over a course of time where now I actually help organizations shape their culture. Uh, And that's what has led me to uh, become the founder of Culture Design Studio, an organizational design agency. Wow, that's, that's quite a transition as well, isn't it? So, have you was it was it was it a, a purposeful transition? Did you just happen to sort of fall into that process after being into architecture? It, it, there wasn't a master plan to it all. It was a, an evolutionary uh, sort of journey, and, and I believe my whole career has been somewhat of a a story of self-discovery. What I learned in architecture, uh, the firm that I was at was Visionary Studios. And a lot of the the principals had come over from Disney Imagineering, where at Disney, what they tried to do was to tell stories, uh, three-dimensional stories. That was uh, Walt Disney's uh, dream 
dream for even Disneyland is to take, allow people to enter into the three dimensions of their stories. So we worked with a lot of organizations in taking their cultural narrative, taking their organizational story and translating that to their physical environment. But what I learned in that work was that a lot of these companies did not have a good understanding about what their culture was to be or what they intended. And so I realized that for me, my passion was really about helping them shape and design uh, that organizational culture so that they could then embody it in their different endeavors. Wow. And and for you, two, two questions to that really is, um, how important do you think um, no, actually, let's go. What is an organization culture and how important do you think it is for an organization to have a culture? Well, I think every organization has a culture. Uh, it just may not be the one they want it to to be. Uh, just to, we would say the same thing about story. Every organization has a story. It just may not be the one you intended to. I think uh, sometimes a strong culture, if it's negative, is actually a big detriment. So strong doesn't necessarily mean healthy. And so when we talk about culture itself, we're talking about what are those, those, uh, those learned behaviors? What are those norms that organizations have adopted as this is the way we th- do things around here. In some cases, that the culture has been almost dictated by the founder or the CEO of the organization. They are very much a directed type of culture. um, And it's almost like a top-down command and control type of culture. But moving forward, we're starting to really see that the expectations of employees are begging, wanting a culture in which they have a voice in shaping themselves because I think the the expectations that employees have these days are very different than what the expectations were one, two, three decades ago. Yeah, it's it's really interesting, isn't it? The way that the, um, I guess, from my generation, it it would be the millennials and and then the the whatever the next generation and that the next generation is called. They're very much looking at... You know, I was always brought up. You you get to work, you work, you do whatever you're told, and then that that and and you know sometimes you worked for great companies, and other times you didn't. And and as you mentioned before, it's it was often that hierarchical way of running the company. And you're seeing the younger generations. You know, you quite often see it in the news of, um, you know how they how they care about their staff, what they're really thinking about, and their staff really look at that an importance of work-life balance where in my time, you know, people used to laugh at the work-life balance thing because it was just, no, there's just work. Um, and it, 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 how, how, how do you, do you, do you think that companies who have that command and control culture um, who may have it right now, how, what, what sort of steps do they need to take to shift it into a more, uh, well, I would describe as a healthier culture, but that might be the wrong description. What, what, what sort of thing would they need to do to move? Yeah. Well, I, I do think that uh, what needs to preempt uh, even this one single step in that direction will be this understanding if there is frustration, many leaders who came up in the world that you described in terms of, Hey, 
uh, the leader says, this is where we're going. This is how we're going to do it. And this is how you're going to help me do it. Otherwise, you know, you're not going to be part of the team. Don't, don't let the door slap you on the way out kind of like thing. Right. Yeah. Right. And, and, and I think with these, this new generation uh, is starting, is, is starting to, to speak up in ways that previous generations have not. They're either speaking up with their voice by pushing back, by expressing frustration or speaking up with their feet by just leaving. Um, and, and, and they're making choices. They're saying, I no longer, or I don't need to tolerate this type of culture. Culture. I want to be uh, in a culture that closely aligns with whom I who I am as a as a person, and I think when you start to hear when a leader starts to hear the grumblings, uh, I mean, look at the Gallup uh, survey uh, information about engaged cultures. They're saying at least as of a year or two ago. Who knows what it's like now during and after COVID, but they're saying that 67% of all employees are disengaged. In fact, of that 67%, about 20% are actually what you might consider toxic to the culture. They're actually working against what is trying to be worked on. And so when you start to see grumblings, frustrations, people wanting to voice their opinions and, and, and not getting that. That, that has to be a signal to leadership that something needs to change. And I think it's okay for leaders to come to this place and say, you know what, I don't know what to do. I, I know that I need, we something needs to change. I just don't know what that looks like. Um, and I think uh, it, rather than necessarily defaulting to a third party consultant, I think what I, in, because when I think of a consultant, This is a third party expert that will come in and say, let me assess your situation. Let me identify the problems. Let me let me identify solutions. And then here is the strategy that is two or three inches thick. And then I'm going to leave. I think what happens with those those types of consultants is there's not enough ownership uh, in in the challenge. Leaders cannot outsource cultural problems. They need to be able to help lead the process. So I think that uh, leaders need to be equipped to have these conversations, to invite people into a process of self-discovery, the development of insights, and then developing what are solutions to move forward. So I, I think that's just the very beginning of identifying that there's a problem and then identifying an approach to solve that problem. And, and how, uh, because I suppose there's, there's, there's loads of there's there's loads of facets to that, isn't there? There's the there's the the ego of the of management. There's the quality of management. Um, there's the congruency of people. It's funny enough. We've had a couple of guests recently who we've we've had conversations about the, you know, the whether it be a culture or whether it be the vision statement that companies have on their walls, and they've probably paid a lot of money for that. But yeah, it just seems to be a piece of paper that's being written, and they don't follow through. Now, what I generally see, and I'm, I'm sure based on what you said before, is the, you see that those those more, um, should we say, socially aware and, and 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 culturally aware businesses pay more attention to those um, to those statements, and and their staff hold them more accountable to those statements. But 
what what do you think the challenges are with that? Because the ego has got to be a big one for CEO oh, yeah. sort of thing. Well. Well, part of my journey, and and, th- and I've actually been talking about this theme of frustrated visionaries, those who, one, see the future and see where they want to take the company, but also they get frustrated because there are obstacles in a way. It may be people aren't listening, or maybe the culture is, is a little bit toxic, or maybe the fact that people aren't engaged. And I think what I have started to realize in my own leadership and even my own work with with uh, companies is that change needs to begin at the top and and it's not and it's not just a, a a leadership layer it's a leadership as an individual so one of the things that I'm really passionate about is the interchange of the leader what are some of the changes that they need to undergo from a personal development perspective to develop uh, in four areas. One is self-awareness. Uh, two is their communication. Three is how do they co-create the future with their team? And then the fourth one, and it's not in any order, but the fourth one I talk about is culture. Uh, and I think it's about really having this hard look of self-assessment, self-awareness as an individual, but also as a company to really identify what are the challenges because you're right, ego is a huge part of it. And I think especially for those leaders that are experienced leaders that have been around for three or four decades, what they're sensing in this moment is, is the, the emergence of a certain fear, a fear of irrelevance. They, they wonder if their leadership is still relevant. The landscape is changing around them. Their their employees are changing their expectations of them. The customers are changing their expectations of their brand. And so they're realizing something needs to change and they're a big part of it. Um, No one, some folks don't like to hear about innovation because that basically means whatever we've done up until now is not working. And that's that's hard to swallow sometimes. Yeah, and and sort of you know you mentioned about the way things are changing, and obviously you know many of us, if not majority of us, have never experienced such radical change as what's going on right now, and not only in COVID, but also you know the the, the whether it be social uprising or um, the way. Speeches uh, is transferred over on social media platforms and all of this. Um, how do how do we bring or how do we deal with that within the culture? I suppose the big one is is as well is is we're we're going to go through this radical change because um, you know as soon as something changes, normal is no longer the norm that we were used to. So whatever's going on right now is certainly going to move the new norm, and that means our culture is going to change again uh, possibly um how do we how do we deal with that and it, i suppose it doesn't matter whether you're a, a you know a huge multi conglomerate corporate company or whether you're a um you know a, a small to medium sized business how do we change that yeah i what you're what the question you're proposing uh, reminds me of the french physician who uh, invented the stethoscope he was also a professor teaching other new physicians and he said this one thing that really resonates in this moment in this conversation for me he says listen to your patients 
they're telling you how to heal them. Now, it's a, obviously, it's, it's a principle that comes from the practical, practical use of a stethoscope, but I think it actually has so many more implications, especially as a leader, especially when you're trying to diagnose what is wrong with my particular organization. So rather than having all of the ideas within yourself, because that has been the expectation of leadership, maybe a self-imposed expectation is, hey, I need to have all the answers and um, I'm going to use best practices because that's the shortcuts that we've used in the past. I think that we actually need to have more conversations with our employees to really co-create and employ the collective genius of the people in our ranks to determine what is the best solution. Um, I think too many times leaders speak uh, when they think of communication rather than listen as a form of communication. So I think listening to what people are saying about it, what is going well, what is not going well, but also listening to the ideas that they have uh, and, and, and try to find this collaborative way of being able to resolve some of the challenges within an organization. I love that. I love that because there, there is no more powerful skill than learning to listen. And, and, and also try not to have the answer before they even start speaking. <laughs> that's a little... Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, that's even something that I learned even in architecture. Interestingly enough, I like my background, is, as I mentioned, was started in architecture. And the first thing that they taught us as we were learning how to manually draft was they said, guys, you should never begin a design process with the end design in mind. Because if you do that, you're limiting, you're defrauding the potential of that design. So literally, they would say, when you draw one line, let that inspire the next line, which inspires the next line. So if you go into it with an open mind and allow the process from the process to emerge the best possible answer, um, then that's where true innovation happens. That's where ownership by employees and engagement happens um, if you allow the answers to emerge versus being directed. Yeah. You know, I'm, 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 this conversation is, is it would be lovely if people are listening to this and they can like go, okay, we're going to get everyone together. We're going to have a conversation and not, not that as you, as we said at the beginning, that director conversation, go and listen up. This is what's happening, but rather that open safe space, they can go, what are your suggestions? How can we make things better? Because quite often, certainly in my experience, is people ask that, but they don't want to listen to the, um, should I say, the only one to listen to a certain level of management. They don't want to listen to the, you know, the customer service person sitting at the desk answering all the calls every day. Although right. that's that's they're going to have far more of an insight to someone who is sitting in the management office. Um you know, and and I was, so I had someone come here today actually to to replace a, a a white appliance in the kitchen, and he said that one of the managers that's telling them to do all of these things that they're introducing at the minute has never actually worked on yeah. the systems that they're talking about. Yeah, exactly. It's an interesting you know dichotomy to be able to have the, I guess the vulnerability uh, to be able yes. to go okay, give give me the suggestions and I'll take this and then. 
percolate. The, the vulnerability, the courage to admit that you may not have, you know, the best ideas to also even admit that the best ideas may not exist within the boardroom or the C-suite. Um, it does take a sense of vulnerability, but I also think that before you invite the greater uh, sort of employee um uh, employees of the organization into this collaborative process, I think that there's actually even a case to be made that you almost need to first um, address the culture of the C-suite or the executive leadership team, because I have had many situations where I've been called in to lead these uh, culture-related workshops for an organization. It's okay, we'll give in to the idea of you coming in and facilitating a discussion with the employees of our organization. But then as we go through it, you can sense the body language of the leadership in the room that they're not happy with this. They're not comfortable with what's being said. And that for that reason, now what I do is I actually lead sessions with the executive teams first for them to buy into one, the mindset, but also to the methodology of what it means to co-create culture. Wow. And do you think a big part of that is fear that someone's going to think they're not doing their job properly? Or what do you think that's from? Yeah, I think that's a big part of it, a big part of it. And I think um, I I think that they they have bought in to this age old model of leadership to say, I need to be the smartest one in the room. I need to I need to make all of the decisions. I need to, uh, you know, have a finite idea of what the destination is. And I think that also comes from this background, even in strategic planning, Um, uh, you know, strategic planning, in my view, comes from the idea that vision is a finite destination. Whereas I think that vision, if you employ strategic design, is actually more of a direction. Hey, this is the direction we want to go. This is the essence of what we want to accomplish. Let's go through a process so that the and 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 design with intention and allow these emergent ideas to develop as we go through the process. Um, that takes a ton of courage, a ton of courage to be able to go on that journey um, to say, Hey, I have an idea of where we want to go, um, but um, but to allow the journey to define the destination is scary, especially for those that are are control freaks. Yeah, yeah, and and how much how much do you think that this has evolved around uh, not only people's emotional intelligence but also their and I suppose that empathy comes into the emotional intelligence, but that empathy level of listening. And, and um, you know, not necessarily, you know, being, uh, you know, all clouds and everything's fairies and bubbles and stuff, but that, that balance of being able to, to have that ebb and flow of being hard when they need to, um, but also they're, they're approachable and open and everything that they need to as well. Yeah, on one hand, what I don't want to uh, to to preach, if you will, is that uh, every visionary leader needs to be both visionary and and or to to not necessarily be both a seer and an empath. It's hard. It's hard to be both. I, I think you could be a seer, like say a seer of the future, 
but be influenced to be able to listen and be more empathetic, but to be a strong empath. I think many times what a person needs to do is to surround themselves with people that think differently than they do. Let's say you're not necessarily people oriented or naturally empathetic, then you need to surround yourself with people that are. Uh, voices that you trust, voices that you will listen to, voices that when they when they come up to you and say, you know, Steve, uh, you know, you said this, but I don't think you considered this and this and this perspective. You came off a little tone deaf. Um, <laughs> so for one, to accept that type of feedback is one thing, but to request that type of feedback is an entirely different thing. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yes, I know. I, I know that um, I got into the habit from one of my mentors was to go, well, you know, when you've had that conversation, it was to openly, openly go, can you give me feedback on that? Um, because your your opinion, I value your opinion. And sometimes it was like, oh, that was really nice. And then other times it was literally like being punched in the stomach. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Wow. How did that, how, how did they even think that that was what was going on at that moment in time? <laughs> well, I mean, to your point, Jeff, I think um, that actually describes probably one of the most poignant seasons of my life. Um, I was at a firm and I felt very confident about my status at that firm and even my career trajectory there. I even thought, if I'm completely honest, that I would eventually be tapped as the CEO of that firm. I felt very strongly about that. Uh, well, a couple of months later, I was let go. I was laid off. Um and I talk about a seesaw of emotions. Well, I had an, a friend that told me, Steve, never let a good identity crisis go to waste. So why don't you reach out to a group of 10 friends and family and peers uh, and ask them a list of questions about yourself. So what can you learn from this? So I did. I reached out to, you know, 10 folks. And on one hand, some of the responses were extremely affirming. But on the other hand, like you said, I, I literally felt sick to my stomach for two weeks based on not just the individual comments, but the collective insight <laughs> that I got from those comments. Like, OK, it wasn't just one person saying this. Everyone was saying like a, a bit of the same story about what I needed to work on. I, I recognize that anyone who does that, it does take courage, vulnerability, but you have to be willing to embrace the discomfort uh, in order to do that. Yeah, no, absolutely. And 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 sometimes it's the best reward because it gives you the ability to grow. Yeah, absolutely. I, I call it transforming frustrations into foundations for change. It, it's a foundation. It's not necessarily, you know, the edifice of that change, but it is the foundation. Everything else will be built on that. Yeah. And, and, and I suppose finally, before we go to the second part of the show is how when you're going into these these companies and you're looking at cultures and, and that sort of thing, how important for you are the types of um, profiling systems like DISC or, um, or Myers-Briggs or, or those sort of things, do they, do they give an insight, like a true insight to that to help you surround yourself with the right people? Or what are your sort of feelings about that? No, I, I do think that these are all very helpful. Um, uh, there's not going to be necessarily one silver bullet that handles everything, but I think it, it's almost as if it, it almost doesn't matter what tool 
you use as long as you are using a tool. And and when, when I say using a tool, it doesn't mean just taking the assessment, but actually implementing it into your the daily course of your work. Um, like say for instance, I remember when uh, I was leading a, a sales organization and we were actually transitioning to using uh, you know, a CRM system and I wanted to basically level up to um, you know, the, the biggest and best CRM out there. Uh, well, our VP of IT said, Steve, I don't recommend you do that. The first thing you need to do is you actually need to develop a culture and the departmental habit of using a CRM, even if it's the deplorable one that you're using now. Because if you don't develop the culture of using a CRM, it doesn't matter how big and robust the system is. Same thing with tools. If you're not using the tools ongoing, what good are the insights if you actually don't refer back to them on a daily basis? Yeah, no, absolutely. Funny enough, I was I was speaking to a client, a prospect, a couple of weeks ago, and they were t- they were talking about a CRM, but we were also talking about even like a simple task management software. And it, it, you know, as if they don't communicate via the task management software, they're not going to do the CRM because you're already up leveling the level of complexity. And it's it's amazing how um, how how quickly those sort of things you could invest an awful lot of money, and you think it's completely tanking, and it's not. It's just because the 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 it's they've never had to do anything like that before. Yeah, for me, it's all about transformation. Like a tool needs to lead to transformation, whether it's a CRM, whether it's a personality profile. Are are you? moving from point A to point B in the desired fashion, if it's causing you transformation, um, then then that's a tool that is worth investing in. Absolutely, absolutely. Okay, so we are gonna jump over to the second part of the show now. Um, this is where I ask you a set of questions. I ask every guest who jumps on the show. So are you ready, sir? I am ready. Okay, so the first question is, on average, how much time a week do you roughly spend on self-development? And that might include body, mind, and soul. Oh, that's a good question. Body, mind, and soul. That actually, uh, that that takes me into even a different stratosphere. Um, I would say it, it's, when you talk about body, mind, and soul, um, I, I do a lot of, uh, I listen to a lot of podcasts. I do journaling. I do read some books. I would say it's about four or five hours a week, which is not enough because I, I definitely don't spend enough time on the on the body side. <laughs> okay, yeah, no, me too. <laughs> That's always the one that seems to slip away. <laughs> yeah. With with your um, because I'm fascinated with the journaling process, and I, I I certainly have adopted it for a long, long time. Do you use a specific journal or strategy? I do. Um, I actually have really uh, adopted uh, the resources by Michael Hyatt and Company. Michael Hyatt he he has a planner that is a full focus planner, and then he has his accompanying uh, journal, uh, which has about ten questions. Uh, um, for you know, for you to kind of prompt uh, your right through uh, each and every day. This has been very helpful. I, I'm not as diligent as I should be, but that is a very good model for me. 
Yeah, no, that's fantastic. Um, okay, question number two is what book has made the biggest impact to your self-development or personal growth and why? And it doesn't necessarily have to be a traditional uh, self-development book. Yeah, so uh, the one that I, that comes to mind for me is actually a book that was written uh, by both Nancy Duarte and Patty Sanchez. It's called Illuminate. And that is, how do you lead through change with speeches, stories, ceremonies, and symbols? So for me, a lot of the transformation that I hope to see in my own life translates to transformation I would love to see in organizations. So as a communicator, this has really helped me understand what are the different types of communication that I need to be aware of, how to be empathetic, how to understand the audience, what are the different types of messages that you can share along the journey of transformation? Have you have you ever read any of David Rock's books? No, I haven't. Um, he talks about leadership, communicating and leadership with the brain in mind. Um, fascinating books. I did, um, I read them. Uh, one of them is called Quiet Leadership. And he does it really, really well because the way he describes the brain, it's, it's imagining that there's two actors on stage and how they how they respond to different ways that the different parts of the brain would act. It's really, really good. Um, but I highly recommend um, David Rock's books. Um, the, the one that I uh, read ages ago was Quiet Leadership. Um, All right. Well, I'm, I wrote it down, so I'm lo- I'll look it up. And then let me know what you think of it. And hopefully you go, oh, yes, Jeff, thank you. Um, <laughs> um, <laughs> oh, no, I'm a I'm a I'm a I love reading. Uh, even if it's even if it, for some reason it does uh, affirm what I've read before, that affirmation is even more helpful. Yeah. So, yeah, I know what you mean, because sometimes it's like, oh, right, excellent. it's coming from another different perspective, but still saying exactly the same. <laughs> That means you know you're on the right path. Um, number three is what app makes the biggest impact to your business or personal life? Uh, yeah, I think for me, what's been interesting is, uh, I mean, I'm, I know it's been around for maybe 10 years or so, but uh, Evernote has been a really great app for me. Um, being able to refer to it, the different types of notes and data and PDFs that I can uh, you know, use on the go has been a really helpful app for me. Yeah, and I like that. I like the new dashboard functionality that they've released and the new, but I have to admit my, as much as I love Evernote because it is my filing cabinet and brain, as I think Michael Hyatt describes it as his digital brain as well. I'm, I'm, I'm loving Notion at the present moment in time. Ah, okay. Um, it, Notion, it's, it's, it's the, 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 the finding functionality is nowhere near Evernote. Evernote just kicks out the ballpark, but the, the sort of the linkable databases and everything it it's it's one of those transformative things that you mentioned mm. before yeah um, and i'll still always use evernote but i've noticed that i'm not using it anywhere near as much as i used to since i started to, and part of me is like there's an argument in psycho you traitor but it's <laughs> but, I, but i have to admit it's um notion it takes a while to get used to and it's not as I don't know. There's something really nice looking about Evernote and its simplistic yeah. form, but right. Notion Notion is a little bit more like the accountant version of Evernote. Um, you know, it's it's very sort of just boxes and squares and stuff. But um, yeah, I mean, I'm a I'm a huge fan of Evernote. You, you would I find, I find it very hard to pull me away from Evernote. Um, 
Okay, so number four, what's your biggest business mistake that turned into a valuable lesson and what did it teach you? Yeah, I can remember early in my leadership career, um, I one of my employees uh, basically did not follow through and, and just basically dropped the ball in a very big way. And I, you know, needing... Uh, having this uh, internal need to strut my stuff, I came down on that person really hard and came to find out that there was a very good family emergency reason why they failed to follow through. And I felt so humbled um, by the fact that I, you know, basically laid into her for, for no good reason. If I had just asked her, the question, is there a reason why this did not happen? And she could have responded with me, yes, I'm sorry, this happened, I'm having family issues. Then I would have understood, but to assume that she just plum failed uh, just out of negligence was that was a very big lesson for me. It's it's almost like the um, uh, the uh, I've gone and forgotten the name it was on the tip of my tongue. The Stephen Covey, um, the Covey bit where he talks about the paradigm shift story in the, in the seven. It's it's like that, isn't it? You, you it all of a sudden changes. It kicks you in the stomach a bit and goes, "Oh right, okay." But yeah, they can be they can be amazing lessons. Um, Number five, what are your challenges in harmonizing work and life and how do you manage them? Yeah, for me, it, it uh, is shutting things off in my head. Uh, I am constantly thinking about things. Uh, obviously, during COVID, we, you know, it's a well-known sort of stat that our, our days are, are working and home life is blurring. Uh, we're working longer. Um, I've had a hard time shutting things off. I lose sleep uh, over it. And so uh, that's been my biggest challenge. Yeah, it's, it's, it is. I think um, I think there's going to be a lot of things learned from how we are, I guess we as a society, as a, as a civilization, has had to have dealt with this because I know I get, I get a lot of phone calls from clients who are um, – who have who have all of a sudden had to go from they they, they miss that transition from home to work that 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 commute is sort of their um, switch on and switch off process and the fact that they aren't able to you know their commute now is about one point two meters from the kitchen you know from the kettle to the kitchen kind of like thing um, and even now you know I think it is companies that were going. No, you you'll never be allowed to work from home. Have now seen that it is possible. All right. And yes. all of a sudden, they're now looking at their, I guess, their portfolio of properties and going, well, hang on, we could save a fortune if we just made people work from home now. And I think people are getting probably some people are getting a little bit worried about is this going to be what life is about because they didn't sign up to work from home. It takes, you know, it takes a specific type of person to just constantly work from home. Um, so all of these interesting things are going to come out from, you know, what, how we have changed as a as a society is due to good and bad, unfortunately. Um, but it is going to be quite an interesting thing to change, and that that resilience, you know, possibly um, wasn't was never had to deal with the stuff that they're having to deal with now, even from a working at home point of view. Right. Yes. It's an important lessons. 
Um, number f- uh, number six, what advice would you give an entrepreneur that you wish you had known starting out? Um, I, I think the advice that I would give is you don't have to uh, build Rome in, in the next year. Um, I think giving ourselves time to pursue, um, work on, and develop the things that we dream about. Um, I think uh, that, you know, it, it's, it's a lifetime. We're going to learn these things in a lifetime, especially for young folks. And even myself, when I was young, I felt a lot of anxiety about wanting to figure out what was my dream job, what, what it was the impact I was going to make in the world. I wanted to know what that destination was going to look like. And I have just, if I could just tell myself, hey, don't worry about the destination, just enjoy the journey. Um, and you, what you, you know, what you're working on now, it may not lead to what you do in 20 years. But give, uh, here's the thing: give yourself compassion. Be compassionate towards yourself. You're going to make mistakes. You're going to stumble. You're going to say things. You're going to do things. You're going to have things that fail. Be compassionate. And when you can learn from each lesson of every day, that will be uh, the growth that you'll need. Yeah. And, and, and as a caveat to that, what I would say is that is the power of journaling. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. That that ability to actually capture those moments and reflect, which people who don't have that sort of um, routine or, or, or strategy to help them process stuff, um, it's very hard for them to capture and, and, and reflect because they don't give themselves any skill sets to be able to do it on. Yeah. Imagine if you spent the whole day flexing and no no day uh, sort of releasing uh, at some point you know we're gonna our muscles are going to peter out on us and I think uh, part of that journaling exercise that reflecting is is almost giving ourselves recovery time uh, when we recover our mental muscles are are the the, the the muscles of our soul and and even our body we're recharged to take a new perspective for the for the next day yeah no love it love it um number seven what is your definition of success I, I mentioned this word before I think it's it's a transformation it's about daily growth um, yes it could be about money could be part of the metric. Um, but ultimately, for me, if I'm not growing, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm dying. Um, if I'm not changing for the better, now changing is painful sometimes, and I don't like that. But if I can look back and see that I may not be where I want to be, but thank God I'm not where I used to be, that's a successful day. Yeah, I think I think that one of the biggest crimes that we can leave ourselves with is stagnancy. Yeah. That, that fact that we, yeah. you know, we have all these dreams, but we're not prepared to take to move on them, or in, in even, you know, there might not be dreams initially. It's just that ability to move. I remember um, one of the best lessons I ever was taught by a mentor of mine was, you know, if you can't move, just lean, because at least you're mm, at least yeah. you're doing something. Yeah. Because if yeah. you just if and lean forward, don't lean back. But it's just that yeah. ability to go. Okay, let's 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 push a little bit because that that comfort zone needs to expand and grow and you know be enjoyed what's what's beyond it not just let's just stop because fear's kicked in so good yeah 
Um, number eight, do you have any daily routines? Obviously, you've mentioned journaling and and um, and that sort of stuff. Do you have any other daily routines that make a huge positive impact to your day? Well, I think, you know, I'm a, I'm a person of faith. I'm a Christian. Uh, I'm actually uh, have been raised by a pastor and have been in ministry myself. So I think time, uh, what some might call meditation, I call prayer, uh, is a big part of, of my life. Um, and that's and, and prayer is not just a one way communication. It's a reflective part in trying to listen. So whether you're calling out to the universe or you're calling out to God or calling to something outside of you, uh, learning to listen is just as much a part of that meditation or prayer life. Uh, that is a big part of what I do. Yeah, it's, it's, I think it's it's giving yourself that valuable space, isn't it? Yeah. I mean, I don't think that there's enough time given to that. Like even when I do one or two day workshops, I think the biggest travesty that can happen, even in the workshops that I have done in the past, is you cram the two days with so much activity and there's not enough time for people to reflect throughout the day. Okay, what did I just learn? What were the insights that I just came up with? How can I apply this to my own life? And so adding in times of reflection is so important. And it's, it is beyond just the journaling, but it's even as, as you take a walk or a drive, you know, just stop the activity uh, for a moment and just reflect and, and that'll be a, make a world of difference. Yeah, I, um, a friend of mine, he he shared this stat with me, which was amazing, because if you do, when you go to a workshop, providing, you know, you, you haven't stopped and reflected and and did and, and looked at stuff, um, you only remember 5% of the content. And then the next day, you only remember 5% of that 5%. So it's 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 quite scary how quickly you will forget. You'll remember maybe bits, you know, uh, you know, key messages, but you'll you'll not have given yourself that time to sort of reflect it and mull it over and just you know um, ponder on what what it was about to give you the actual the results that you're actually looking for. Right, and I think that can you know it, it's so valuable to think about that not only individually within you know your own personal development practice, but I think even as a, as a work team, as a leadership team, as an as a company, what does it look like to have a culture of reflection? Is a really interesting point. If it works for us as individuals. Why wouldn't it? In fact, why wouldn't why wouldn't it exponentially uh, have benefits within our organizations? No, absolutely, absolutely. Um, just a, a couple of other questions that um, I'm, I'm always interested in, especially at this present moment in time. And um, you know, obviously, we're going through the, this COVID situation, and people have been tested in business and and stuff. What what sort of lessons have you learned? during this time during covid what what things have you either experienced or you've implemented to um to grow on the on the on during it and on the outside of it it was a hard i mean i think i learned this probably about 3 months in uh because the first couple of months i was very frantic um trying to understand how i was 
dealing with this complete pivot? How was my business going to pivot? How did I need to show up in the world? How did I need to, you know, as a communicator, I didn't know how to communicate during this time because I was at a loss. And after about two months of frantically treading water to stay afloat, I realized that I was going to stop striving and just reflect on on three things. I needed to receive and give compassion. I needed to create and be part of community because, you know, one of the things I've always learned is you suffer in isolation, but you thrive in community. And then the the third thing was about just... um, providing ways to convene groups together and just, you know, let's, let's journey together. So those are a couple of things that I really learned and, and I found beneficial for me. That's brilliant. That's brilliant. Um, we've come to the end. So the floor is now yours. How, how Steve, can we find out more about you? Where do we go? What you tell us what your podcast is about and um, please take it away. Yeah. So the podcast is culture design uh, show, the culture design show. And I really talk with guests about how to design culture in their organizations, especially high growth companies who are trying to scale their culture. Uh, I've also also created a free five-day audio course called Frustrated Visionary. It includes a lot of the things that we've talked about in terms of self-awareness, communication, co-creation, and culture. So it includes 40 minutes of audio lessons and exercises over five days. And what this does, it helps visionary leaders transform their frustrations into foundations for change. So people can sign up for that at uh, stevechaparro.co forward slash frustrated. Fantastic. And I'll make sure all of that goes on the show notes. Um, Steve, just a final thank you so much for taking the time and joining me. Um, I'm sure it's a damn sight nicer weather where you are than where I am. Um, (laughs) But um, I just want to say wishing you the greatest success and take care. Thank you so much. So first of all, just let me say a massive thank you for joining me today. It's lovely to know that you're out there listening. And it's great to have the emails that I get from you with suggestions about the show and what you think about the show. That's really nice. Really does help me make the show even better. If you'd like to find out more about me and the types of services I offer or my social media links, then please visit www.jeffnicholson.uk. You can also join us on the Facebook page. Just search for Success IQ Podcast. And that's a new page that we've put up that I'm trying to grow and develop. So you can tune in and find us on other stations such as Stitcher, SoundCloud, TuneIn Radio, and of course, iTunes. And if you have the time, it would be great if you could pop over there, leave a rating, leave a review, because it really does help me grow the show and make the impact that I'm really looking for. So just to say, I hope you have a fantastic week. I wish you the greatest success and I look forward to speaking to you next week. Take care.